0: Hey everybody, appreciate you tuning in to this episode of the Hunting Public Podcast. On this one, I'm going to be talking with Greg about some of the things that we learned throughout a season of making stalks on mule deer. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I don't hunt mule deer and I have no plans of hunting mule deer, don't be alarmed. We try to relate as much as possible about our experiences hunting mule deer with our experiences hunting whitetails, and how we're going to use that intel for future hunts in the whitetail woods. There's a lot of differences between whitetail and mule deer, but there's also a lot of similarities as well, and a lot of the tactics and things that we learned this season and past seasons making stalks on deer has certainly helped us become overall better hunters. Any experience when hunting can be beneficial to you in the long run, and I think that That's kind of the main focus of this podcast. We tell stories of failed hunts and some of the things that we would do differently if we could do it over again. We talk about how to specifically pull off a shot when you're on a stalk, different conditions and how deer bed in those different conditions. And we even talk about how observing deer in the open plains is helpful when trying to make guesses on where deer are going to be on any given day based off of conditions in a timber setting when you're in the open ground like that you just get to see so much and you get to easily relate deer movement patterns based off of what the conditions are and I feel like that's just something that's really helpful for hunting in any type of habitat but especially for the habitat types where you can't see very much because when you're in the timber you're just making a guess where the deer are and it's easy to lose confidence if you're not seeing deer but when you get to see deer over and over again make adjustments based off of what those conditions are then it's going to help you have confidence and keep confidence when you're making guesses on where deer are going to be in the timber hopefully that's all making sense and i'm not getting too long-winded there but i understand that mule deer hunting may not be something that everybody's doing every year that listens to this podcast but i feel really strongly about the fact that the things that i learned mule deer hunting I'm going to be using in the Whitetail Woods as well. So hopefully you can take away some of the things that Greg and I are talking about in this podcast and use it for whatever hunting situation you find yourself in. Here in just a couple days we're going to be at the NWTF convention in Nashville. That's something that we look forward to every year. It's really fun to get a chance to meet you guys and talk hunting in general but also get fired up for turkeys because that's right around the corner. We'll also have our merch there and it'll be the first time our spring lineup will be available. So we've got a bunch of new designs for spring that are turkey hunting specific. We've got new artwork designs from Ryan Kirby that again are turkey specific. So you maybe have seen some of the deer drawings that we've got on t-shirts that he's done, but now we've got turkey drawings that are on our shirts as well, and those are pretty sweet. We got them in hoodies, T-shirts, and we've also got a women's line. We've got short billed hats coming out. And also in the past, we've sold our mouth calls in a three-pack. Well, now you're going to be able to buy them as individuals. So maybe there's one that you like better, or if you lost one out of the pack, you can just pick up that individual call. You can also go to our website, thehuntingpublic.com, and check out everything that we have to offer. we got a lot of stuff on there right now, and we're really excited about it. So we appreciate the support, appreciate you listening to this podcast, and let's go ahead and get Greg on the line. What are some of the first things that come to your mind about the differences between you know, whitetail and mule deer stalks and the experiences you've had?
1: Uh, the experiences I, I was just going through my head with this and, uh, my experience has been a little bit more like stalking whitetails is actually fairly limited experience when it comes to actually hunting them. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, but I do have pretty extensive experience actually stalking whitetails. But it, when it was when I was doing deer research and I had a dart gun in my hands yeah. and then and the nature of that was not finding bedded deer, it was stalking deer in and around cornfields mostly or on edges where I could see deer of a, or bucks of a particular age class that I wanted to dart and get a radio collar on. So that's that was kind of my most of my stalking experience with whitetails. It was, mm-hmm. you know, usually summer, early fall or something like that. And. Um so I don't have a ton of experience stalking bedded whitetails, a little bit. And obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, we I've gotten some just by, you know, hunting with you guys, hunting as a group. Mm -hmm. Um, so so I don't have as much comparison as probably what you're gonna be able to um talk about. But Mm -hmm. my overall what I kind of came up with, my overall feeling on hunting mule deer this year was one thing I learned was that it was actually a little bit easier to find. And to get within bow range or close to within bow range of mule deer Mm -hmm. but it was a lot harder to get a high percentage shot Mm -hmm. so that was that was kind of my takeaway it was uh yeah it was a lot of fun and it was also very humbling at the same time and very frustrating at the same time so i mean i and i'm sure this has been your experience too like i could have taking some long bomb shots at Mueller that kind of got up and we're standing there, you know, after they've mm. been spooked. But uh, you know, obviously I'm looking for a high percentage shot that I know I can make. So mm-hmm. it was uh, yeah, it was fun. And it was it was humbling and still got a lot more to learn.
0: Yeah, I feel that even though like we've gotten more experience, there's yeah, just so much um that we have to learn about it because the biggest difference that I notice is the open Country and like Mm -hmm. mule deer obviously can bed in a variety of different places like I've observed them even in the places I've hunted in more dense cover um, at times but you know whitetail just more consistently tend to bed in places where they have more cover which is really important for your own cover too and I feel like that's a huge huge Mm -hmm. battle in a lot of the hunts that you and I had in this past season, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, certainly there's, there's a lot of differences in just the, you know, the habitat that they live in. And then, you know, then of course just their, their behaviors. And one thing that I think that we both noticed is that it seems like mule deer stay bedded, um, or whitetails stay bedded longer, whereas mule deers, mule deer seem to get up and move around more, which is frustrating when you're trying to either (laughs) plan a stock or execute a stock. So that was, that was one thing I noticed as well, certainly. Mm -hmm yeah i i feel that whitetails still get up
0: but they don't necessarily move very far either i mean they they do tend to bed mm-hmm. longer their moves also are much smaller it seems where yep. you know you might see a whitetail stand up and move five yards you know like a great example is that north dakota buck when you guys were up above that and jake yep. and i were stalking yep. He stood up and really didn't do anything and just bedded right back down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where I feel like the mule deer, sometimes it's like the wind kind of swirls and they just stand up, and then they might just move three quarters of a mile.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, not because they smell you, just because nothing. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, you you look at you know deer in in general. You know, whitetails in thicker cover have smaller home ranges, smaller core areas, and they have more probably more resources available in the areas that they bed. You know, whitetails, mm-hmm. you know, if it wants to get up and and feed, it can probably do that in a very small area. Whereas a mule deer may have to move a little bit farther to, you know, to find food or water or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So there's there's definitely some differences in in their in their behaviors, for sure, that that are, you know, pros and cons for for stalking for sure. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, one of the things I think we noticed as well uh, with mule deer getting up and moving it was kind of like a mid-morning movement that it seemed like they would get up uh, from their beds and, and shift and go somewhere else. It means they're getting up and moving and potentially you're getting eyes on deer that you didn't know were there. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, there's definitely pros and cons with it, for sure, with mm-hmm. just their individual behaviors. Yeah, what, one of the things that you brought up when we
0: first went out there, uh, I guess it would have been early October, you were saying that you had been noticing the deer bedding in shade, but then it seemed like that four day span where I was there, it seemed like that actually changed a little bit just based off of weather. Talk about your, yep. you know, your observation with that. Cause I haven't seen it as much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was actually pretty interesting to, Uh, I guess one of the the nice things about not tagging out is that you get more time in the field throughout the season to uh, just to learn more about what the deer are doing. So it was um, before you had got there, I hunted, it had been really warm. It had been hot, like mid 80s, 90s, something like that. Pretty much sunny, you know, every day. So when they were bedding, it usually revolved around shade, usually revolved around cedar trees or um, little cuts in the terrain. Uh, blowouts anything like that where they could get shade and, and get out of the, the heat as much as possible when you got there the weather had got a little bit cooler so we were kind of seeing a little bit of of both there was, some were mm-hmm. bedding in the shade and some were bedding just in more open areas uh, later in the season it was almost like it was a complete flip where actually I, I felt like and it's just the nature of that terrain of, of where I was hunting out there where we were hunting out there is that I liked the, that they were bedding around cedar trees because it was fairly predictable Cause you could you could glass cedar trees and find them mm-hmm. and then you had a little bit a little bit of cover to work with as you're moving in on them but later in the season as it got into uh, november december and i wasn't hunting quite as much as i was earlier in the season i kind of shifted to whitetails but anyways they were betting out in the wide open more you know when it was you know temperatures were cooler or even cold you know on they, they may just bet out in the wide open on a uh, south facing hillside or something Mm -hmm. like that, which makes it extremely difficult to get within bow range uh, when you've, you know, there's bedding in the wide open. So there was definitely some differences in in the way that they were bedding uh, throughout the course of the season. And then this is a little bit less off the topic of stalking mule deer. But one thing I noticed uh, throughout the season was just the differences in their behavior was kind of interesting uh, in that when you were there, they were, you know, bucks were still in bachelor groups they were easy to find and they were predictable and then i was gone for about three weeks from early october to mid-october when i got back it was more like early november and all those bucks that we had been seeing had pretty much moved off there was there was one buck left that had a harem of does in that area you know in that spot where the you know the high point on those buttes are where where we had glass from that's kind of the spot i kept defaulting going back to because it's the Mm -hmm. highest air highest point in that area and it was the easiest spot to find deer so, anyways, I kept going back to that spot, and then by the time you know early November rolled around, uh, there was just that one, the blower buck, you know, that that yeah. that big three by three. He was really the only one consistently back in there, and he had five or six um, does and fawns with him. Interesting, or or he or he was with that family group of does and fawns, however you want to put it. So, you know, there was challenges with having a bu- a bunch of bucks together early in the season, obviously more eyes and ears and noses when you're trying to move in on them. But then I think that was easier than when that buck was just with that group of does, because now you got seven or eight eyes, ears and noses. So that, that got pretty challenging mm-hmm. um, when, you know, I, and I made two or three different stocks on that buck uh, throughout November. I had, I had one good one, the, the best opportunity on that buck, I feel like it was, it was late October and I found him by himself. He was he was rubbing a bunch of brush and then he bedded down right there got within 25 yards really easy and then as I rose up and came to full draw he just just busted out of there I think the, the sun was behind me it was directly behind me and I think my shadow like he oh, might have oh. been seeing my shadow on the ground in front of him that was about yeah. the only thing I could think of yeah I, so. I, I think it's I definitely think it could could affect them but that, that was, that felt like, I felt like I was going to get him on that one. It was like, it was, it was an easy stock. It was a short stock. And I, I got right in on him and got to full draw on his raising up. And then he just, he blew out of his bed and he stood at about, you know, 65, 70 yards, something mm-hmm. like that. And it's like, ah. some yeah. people will take that shot. Some people can make that shot, I suppose. But I think there's just too many things that can go wrong at that distance. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, especially with, <laughs> about tripping on my chair, <laughs> especially with, I mean, a lot
0: of the arrow setups that most of us are using are heavier, you know, more affected by wind, stuff like that. But I think uh, one thing that I was going to ask about that particular stock, I guess, was well, how do, how were you playing the wind on that one? Like, what, I guess, was the setup like as far as using the
1: wind to get in tight to him?
0: Because I feel uh, like that's always the the most challenging oh, with the mill Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, the wind on that one was you know, when I spotted him, I was up on that highest point on that butte. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was basically, what did I, do? oh, he was basically directly below me. He had been there probably the whole time. And when I switched to go to the, ne- the next high point over, I looked back and he was right there. So I, he literally had been right below me, but i I couldn't, I guess I didn't look far enough down. But anyways, I got, so I went back around and um, got eyes on him again, and he bedded down right there, and the wind at that point was coming from, from him to me. Now, he was down below me in the terrain, up on that high point that wind was blowing hard, right in my face. It's like, perfect, I can just kind of cut around and then quarter back into the wind. Like, everything should be perfect. And when I got down in there, the wind had just died mm-hmm. for whatever reason. So it was, it was uh, kind of tricky, slow going, but when I got in there, the wind was kind of quartering, you know. It, but it stayed fairly consistent. I don't. I mean, it was such it was such a short stock. Honestly, like it, it didn't take very long. that mm. uh, the only thing I really noticed about the wind was that it that it just died down. The wind speed died down to the point where you know, I felt like had it stayed up, you know, coming to full draw and raising up, he may not have heard or you know, just knew that I was there. Yeah. You know, whatever whatever happened there. So I, the wind was pretty much just quartering. At that Mm -hmm. point yeah that that wasn't a real technical one but there was one stock i had a little bit later in the season in december it was the only stock that i had that it was another you know good up on a high point wind blowing strong in your face these bucks were bedded a little bit lower in the terrain but there was kind of a little pocket that they were in and once i started going up um what i just kind of went around the side of a hill and there was a little saddle there to where once i got up to that saddle it was going to be close to within shooting distance. Mm -hmm. And as I started going up to go up through that saddle, all of a sudden the wind is just doing this. And then they picked up on me, Mm -hmm. but it's just, yeah, like I say, the the wind is so tricky out there. That was another thing I was humbled by, is that uh, everything could feel good with the wind as you're moving in and everything makes sense. And all of a sudden, like there's just little micro pockets of, of terrain features and, and potentially, you know, like you've talked about the sun hitting the landscape or, you know, mm-hmm. something happening there that, uh, if they had set themselves up in a, in a, a perfect spot, really, that, that <laughs> it would have been really hard to kill them. Mm-hmm. Like in my mind, it was like, this is going to be an easy stock. And once I get up through that saddle, like they're going to be right there. Like this is high percentage odds. And then, and then the wind. <laughs> <laughs> what do you feel like some of the things, what do you feel
0: like some of the things that you learned like throughout this season with the wind, like, uh, I guess thinking moving forward, is there anything that you would take into consideration differently now having those experiences
1: than you did on day one, let's say? Yeah, I think just the more stocks that you do like that one I just referred to, um, just gives you more in that that memory bank to think about when you're going on your next stock Um, that was probably the one that sticks out in my mind about trying to read that the the terrain that they're in and understand how the wind is going to be potentially moving through there or swirling and uh, you know whatever effect the uh, you know the sun may have on it um, time of day as well you just uh, yeah it's trying to take those things into account and uh and coming up with maybe like a plan b mm-hmm. you know you, you start to mm-hmm. move in and uh, all of a sudden the, you're like okay, the wind is getting a little shifty Is like okay i need you know, i may need to take an alternative route to get there where mm-hmm. the wind may be more steady so yeah. i like um that. that's there's yeah there's a lot there to take into consideration a lot a lot more i need to learn but mm-hmm. uh the one takeaway as far as the wind goes i, I know i I was a broken record about this when you were hunting with me, is that you know, out, there, <laughs> out there on the plains, it's like when you think of the plains in Stock and stocking mule deer, you're thinking about windy conditions. Grizzlies. Yeah. yeah, okay, grizzlies. <laughs> Plains grizzlies. Yeah, you're worried about those plains grizzlies. <laughs> Thankfully, they went extinct in that area. Um, right,
0: so we got a quick side note in case, yeah. in case this is too. Yeah, we got to just say what this is. One night we're sitting at... Uh, at our camp and next thing you know we're talking about when when grizzlies roamed the plains and how crazy mm-hmm. that would be and that was greg yep. and i's late night talk plains <laughs> grizzlies and i yeah. just think it's so funny that like that's where you know we're just two dudes sitting out there waiting to go hunting in the morning
1: Thinking about yeah. plains grizzlies, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, and, and Lewis and Clark actually experiencing that when they went up, you know, yeah. on their adventure, like encountering plains grizzlies. Can you imagine that? But yeah, so um, uh, yeah, so the wind, the lack of wind, was surprising to me and frustrating. On I don't know how many different times where they forecasted it to be windy that day and it wasn't, or yeah. it was breezy. We located some deer, or you know, figured out our stock and then all of a sudden the wind dies down or you 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 step down in the train just a little bit lower and the wind is is calm down there and Mm -hmm. and or is swirling so that that was a challenge that I did not anticipate to come up so often I was thinking Mm -hmm. planes breezy conditions easy to move in and I guess I was maybe I got spoiled on the first stock that I that I ever did out there it was a breezy day and I located two bucks and was able to move in and got within. You know 22 23 yards just really easy mm-hmm. even crawling across some open ground to get down to them you know they were bedded looking away and with that high wind like it's just such an advantage I mean unless you're taking a long shot it just seems like higher winds are such an mm-hmm. advantage oh yeah I, w- I would agree one thing that we talked about too uh,
0: kind of an odd condition to bring up I don't necessarily hear people talk about this super often but there is kind of a benefit too of those days where it's gusty because i feel like there's this sense of uh comfort when they don't hear anything on those calm Mm. you know breaks and wind so if you get a little bit of a stop go stop go depending on when the wind's blowing you can almost trick them into being comfortable it seems like because mm-hmm. you can make a little bit of noise and if you watch deer we, we know this from having so many experiences where somebody's filming from a distance if you watch them whether it's mule deer or whitetail they start doing this at some point mm-hmm. and i think they're yeah. always hearing you a little bit but if you can almost trick them with that break in yeah. wind you're not moving i think that's one of those things that doesn't happen very often where you're getting enough to cover you, but then enough to, you know, right, be quiet again. But that's kind of a fun one. But I know what you mean. I mean, the the calm days are brutal when you're trying to do yeah. anything quietly. It's
1: really yeah. tough. Yeah, and as much as I complained about it, I know we had a couple of stocks um, where the wind essentially did die down, and it was mm-hmm. it was just really slow going, and and you basically just had to take advantage of those gusts when they did come up, and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got close, and then that uh, sharp-tailed grouse ruined it for us. That, I think that, we were... was, that one was
0: tough. That one bummed me out just because I was like, yeah, we had that condition that we were just talking about, the stop, kind of start, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. feeling really good about that. And we were even, I mean, at that point, too, your confidence is going up because you're not only getting to point A. We had got to point A, B, and then we're going to C, and we had done all that without getting busted. Feel like that builds yeah. your confidence a lot too like we we had those plan b's and just kind of kept going with it now that, that was really fun and the, the bird was crazy yeah. i
1: don't that that's just that's just bad luck. luck i mean what do yeah. you do yeah yeah i think um just the whole experience of a uh, mule deer hunting and doing getting on a lot of stocks this fall um, helped to quickly boost my confidence and like and being able to to get close to them mm-hmm. i mean i don't i'm sure I don't know, eight or 10 times, maybe more than that. Like I went on stocks where I got either within bow range or very close to the, you know, the edge of bow range and then something just went wrong. So that was, you know, that was fun to kind of build, you build the skill set a little bit and build a little bit of confidence. And, um, now I, st- I still think it's, it's like really tricky. Once you do get in close, um, you know, how exactly you go about getting a shot, mm-hmm. um, you know, on a, on a deer that's, say, bedded or something like that. You know, do you give them time and let them stand up on your own? Do you, you know, try to raise up, take the shot? Do you um, try to make some kind of sound? Do you throw a rock or, you know, something like that? There's so many there's so many uh, different scenarios as far as trying to get the shot off that that, oh, that yeah. part is, uh, I don't know if you ever, I'm, I'm sure some really good mule deer hunters master that and know what to do in what specific situation, but that uh, that's one where... Uh, you need, need, need some more repetitions. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll be curious to see what your thoughts on it. My, my conclusion since I was hunting in cattle country was that um, maybe just like making the sound of a, of a cow mooing. Like they're mm-hmm. used to hearing that sound to where you, you kind of make some you know, low mooing sounds to try to, you know, you get to full draw and then make that sound to try to get them to, uh, uh, to stand up. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a less uh, uh, what a threatening sound, perhaps, or less unnatural sound. Than throwing a rock those, over them. <laughs> yeah, than throwing a rock over them, or perhaps whistling or grunts. I mean, I don't know. There's, any one of those could probably work. But I, I just, I kind of, I got to thinking. You know, these deer are used to hearing cows all the time. Yeah. Like I wonder if you make that, you come to full draw, you make that noise, and you're wait, and they stand up and they see an object there well they're probably used to seeing some kind of dark object when they're here especially move, coming you know, up and over like you probably yeah, are so yeah. so that was just one thought i had um but i I'd, I'd be curious i know um you've been close to a lot of you know deer in the past few years so i'm curious to see what your thought is as far as getting a shot once you do get in close i think that
0: uh when it comes to this this topic i would say as as anything it's situational but i've had the tendency to lean towards go undetected Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it because it does seem like in a lot of situations on stalks if you can see the deer white or mule deer if you can see it bedded it's probably not giving you tons of cover i mean it by default right Mm -hmm. Um, there's difference every situation is different but um Trying to go undetected also means finding that best place where you can get cover, which again is really challenging because you're also worried about um, wind first, then things like sun, you know, where the deer's facing. But in an ideal situation, I would say, you get up to a spot where you're in very comfortable range, you know where the deer's at, Ideally, you can see its tines because then you're just making every move based off of what mm-hmm. its head's doing. Yep. And, you know, if it's relaxed, a lot of times, for example, you'll be looking at a deer quartered away. So you'll be looking at that's, that's ideal because you're usually not coming in directly behind them. At very best, you're getting them slightly quartered away. And if they're not moving and that rack's just totally stationary, then... Just leave it alone. He's chewing his cud. He's not. He's probably just asleep, mm. like with his with his eyes closed, not doing anything. And then, ideally, at some point, he gives you some sort of cue that he's gonna get up. A lot of times, I've seen where they start doing this. They'll start mm-hmm. rocking, or mm-hmm. they'll start looking from side to side. But a lot of times, they'll just seriously rock like that, and then they'll just pop themselves up. Yeah. Again, this is all. In a perfect world yeah he stands up you know kind of stretches out looks the other way now i'm now as soon as he looks the other way i draw and i can get my body into a position where i'm totally comfortable like you're gonna probably be on your knees more than likely Mm -hmm. but just having that you know perfect comfort just like you've practiced as much as possible you've got yourself completely upright i mean to me that's when i've done that i've had the you know, best result. There's other times, too, where, you know, I maybe look back on it and I maybe waited too long. Like the one other mm-hmm. one that comes to mind that's, you know, kind of on the other end of the the. how it could go. is <laughs> <laughs> Jake and I uh, were hunting on that first trip there, and it was the, the really, really big-bodied buck that we stalked, and we, we called him Fat Boy. Because he was just a huge-bodied deer, and we're not that, not that creative with naming him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had got himself out on like a little finger, and the wind was coming perfectly over the top of him, and it was, it was just almost so perfect that I didn't feel like you could come in above him, but I wanted to come in just at the perfect angle to where he wouldn't be looking right at me. And I got there, and he was comfortable for a while, but then he started moving his head. And for whatever reason, I didn't Mm. realize he was doing that. Even though I was super focused on his antlers, I think there must have just been enough grass that I wasn't, this might have been a mistake too, I wasn't registering which way they were facing because the grass would move, my eyes would change focus, and then I'd have to blink a couple times to see his tines again. Well, I sat there for a long time, and all of a sudden, he just kind of starts looking back, and all, and I now I can tell that he's looking at me, and he's just laying in the bed like this, and all in one motion. He just turns and runs. Mm-hmm. And that one, talk about humbling, like I was 25 yards from him for a long time. Yeah. And that one bummed me out because I felt like the angle was perfect but he also never gave me a good opportunity because he was laying the whole time and like maybe I could have popped up but I th- I think it would have been a hard quarter too and like to me I don't really want to shoot one bedded personally I mean mm-hmm. there might be a situation where they're exposed enough and you're close enough but even at 25 yards bedded yeah. there's a lot of weird things I feel like could happen and yeah you know so I guess in that situation, if I could have done something differently or if I could try something, knowing what I know now, yeah, chuck a rock over him, maybe stands up and looks that way, and then you just, doink. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's easy, but it's also easy to say that when it didn't work, but the majority of the time I've yeah. been patient, that has worked out. It's just, I don't know. It's a, yeah, that's, that's, a that's a great topic, though, because I feel like you could talk about it for forever. hmm
1: yeah, I guess that kind of reminds me of a situation that Ted and I were in uh, a couple of years back to where we snuck in on a whitetail that we had spotted bedded, um, got in close to him, and then sat there for about two hours. You know, where he was bedded in some sunflowers and tall grass to where we could just kind of see the top of his head and his antlers. Mm-hmm. And the wind was good, had been good the whole time. And we were just in the mindset of, of waiting. You know, waiting for him to stand him he did stand up one time and and re there real quick and uh, Ted almost got an opportunity at him then mm-hmm. but you know and then uh, you know after two hours basically of I'm, I'm sitting there filming for two hours straight like shoulders just burning to you know Ted release on the string you know tension on like just it's h- ready it's to go on this mind, thing so too. oh yeah to stay focused for that oh, yeah. long when, when it can all happen like that but mm-hmm. um, in height well uh, what happened was the the wind eventually did swirl like we felt it kind of on the side of our faces back of our necks we're like ooh, that's not good and then next thing you know he's gone didn't stand up or to look like he's just gone so that's one of those where you know in hindsight you know what are the other opportunity or options open to us trying to make a noise throwing something but um but we were less than 20 yards away he was so comfortable like, we just kind of felt like the best option was to just wait for him to stand up naturally. Whereas, you know, you try something else, maybe more aggressive, throwing something, making a noise, and then it, you know, then it comes undone and you ruin the opportunity. But then you kind of really kick yourself. I think yeah. a little, maybe a little bit more than, than what we were. So it's like...
0: It's like patience yeah, I mean, what, versus impatience, right? It's like, am I impatient? But at to, the same time, conditions could be a factor as well. Like, yep.
1: You know yeah and, and the wind the wind had been steady um, you know and consistent the whole time so we never felt like we needed to force things a little bit to get to try to get a shot at them because you know we thought the wind was going to swirl but you know ultimately it, it did but uh, yeah. yeah that's one of one of the challenging things obviously mm-hmm. in any situation is just what's the right decision the one thing that I started
0: doing more to when I was as I've mule deer hunted especially, is thinking about just getting to a position and chilling out and being like, hey, I've got the recipe to get one here. If I know Mm -hmm. he's right there and he's 60 yards, let's say, but as soon as I start going around that to get to 30, 40, well, then it's starting to get sketchy. But I know I'm safe here and I know I can shoot him if he walks around that trail right there. Like, like a deer, like a, like a deer tree stand ambush, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you're doing essentially the same thing because what I also believe in a lack of cover is anything can be cover. Like it can be a color change in the grass, you know, something that just changes the way that uh, the consistent landscape has looked because I feel like, when you're talking true plains, no trees, there's almost nothing for a really long time. And then as soon as there's a rock or something, you notice, you look at it, you notice it's a rock, but then you just keep breezing over it. And mm-hmm. it seems like those animals that live out there do that all the time. So, if, for example, a fence post where a fence post in a pasture in Iowa probably wouldn't be enough cover. Yeah. But out there, it might be. Out there, in the plains, you might have a rock. And that's enough cover where, even if you're in the timber in Virginia, that might not be enough cover there. Like, I think Mm -hmm. there's something different about the way animals look at things. To where they just see that thing that's always there, or that break-in habitat that's always there, and they just breeze right over it. And I think that's kind of where mule deer get that, like, stupid sure. like, uh, label. He says yeah. I don't think they see things, um, I don't know. It's obvious that it's different. But it's different even between a whitetail that lives in the timber, in my opinion, and a whitetail that lives out in the plains. Like, mm-hmm. the vis- the visual that they're using is done in a different way. But they're also really good at seeing you in the right situation too. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah, they they certainly can have the stereotype of being a, a dumber animal, um, and then uh, then you try to get in close to a, a <laughs> buck and get a shot at him, and, and they prove then. you otherwise. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah. that's no, it's that's fun. It's, it was you know part of it was certainly humbling. Oh yeah. And, frust- I mean, and frustrating that they're so good at surviving. That uh, you can get so close and then, uh, you know, everything, and you think you have it in the bag and then everything comes undone. So, that, yeah. and for a variety of different reasons. So I think that's one of the uh, alluring things about it is it's challenging and mm-hmm. it's uh, unpredictable and, uh, you know, in, in the right places, you can get multiple stocks per day, which is a lot of fun too. So you just, yeah. you just constantly, you're learning quickly yes. um, about how to fail <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then hopefully eventually succeed. Right, exactly. Because, what like, you... for for you, I think you've been um, hunting mule deer for, what, a few years now? Yeah. Or at least, you know, at, at some Two point different during seasons. the season. Two different seasons, okay. Two yep. different Two seasons, different... but, like,
0: probably four or more trips. Yeah. Yeah, so quite a bit.
1: I mean, yep. a lot of days. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's common from, you know, the people that I've talked to and, you know, you're watching videos and stuff like that, and you realize it's not it's not something that's automatic, especially if you're new to it. Now, I would say your your skill level is advanced compared to a lot of people because just of all the experiences you had growing up and stalking whitetails and stuff like that. So, um, you know, just stepping into mule deer hunting wasn't exactly a breeze. Like you probably, I don't know how many stalks you you know went on before. You it, got there was that definitely one this
0: year. a point where the the number of whitetail stalks that I had blown was like, I mean, it's still true significantly lower than the mule deer stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a yeah. pretty big big difference. And I feel that, yeah, the number one thing is cover. So like, you know, we keep going back to this or I do at least that that getting the shot and I agree that is has easily been the hardest part. You're right in there with them, but then something mm-hmm. goes wrong where it feels like with the white tails, because they're in more cover, you can find cover easy, much easier and Whitetails have a different demeanor, too, and this is something that I definitely think is worth bringing up Mm. because we've talked about it many a times now. A whitetail is definitely more aggressive just, like, by default is how I would describe it. Like, they stand up Mm -hmm. and they have much more of a bully attitude consistently across the species. Every deer is different. They're all individuals, and I do totally believe in that. But it seems like species-wide, they're just much more aggressive. So when they have a doe, for example, that's the peak of a mature buck's aggression. Mm-hmm. So when he stands up, he doesn't necessarily think danger. He thinks, who's over there? Like, mm-hmm. what other buck's over there? And I'm going to go fight him off. Where, And I haven't stalked very many lockdown mule deer, mm-hmm. but mule deer when they're alone or in bachelor groups it seems like they don't really give you the time of day they don't give you that second look like i have witnessed very few white tails bolt out of their bed like even on the stalks that we've blown a lot of times they stand up start looking around and get freaked out and then run sometimes that's enough for you to get a shot
1: Mm -hmm.
0: i mean like the the new york buck that i shot is a great example of like that deer saw me but he didn't just run he was like ah i got this doe but i don't also know mm-hmm. what the heck that thing mm-hmm. is and then the next thing you know he's looking at his doe and yep. I'm standing all the way up and shooting yep. after he just saw yeah. me yeah yeah it gets like him a, in trouble
1: yeah it gets him like in trouble a, I'm, I'm yeah it's just crazy <laughs> i'm also thinking that footage of you stalking the one in the um with uh, with grant down in the river bottom yeah yeah. Yep, uh, I think exactly. the dough stood up. The buck stands up and you're at full draw and he's just standing there looking at you. And yeah. He's
0: bristled. Yeah. Like he he's not he's not thinking, <laughs> yeah.
1: "Oh, I better run." He's thinking, yep.
0: "Who's trying to get my dough?" And Yep. It's even it's funny too because I I'm, I'm I I know you'll believe me, but it's like I know I knew when I slid my butt up there that he was going to see me at some point and mm-hmm. I And Mm -hmm. I was pretty confident that he would do something like that. Yeah. To where I was like, well, I don't want him to to be like, oh, that's for sure danger. But if he just barely saw me, I thought he might stand up and give me a look. And sure enough, that's what he did. And in that situation, getting the shot, you know, as far as getting drawn, it's like as soon as he started to move, that's when I just
1: drew right as he was standing. But, yeah, that one... I got a little tangent to go on because it just reminded me of something I did when I was hunting in North Dakota, have been it. I don't know, 12 years ago. Uh, it was Christmas time, like I'd, I had, had a permit while I was up there and had my bow with me. So I got to go out like one time hunting on Mindy's uh, family's property. And there was a, it was a just, I think there was patches of cattails out there and uh, just pretty much wide open fields, open country, but there was hay bales out kind of in the middle of this uh, uh, or I guess on the edge of a bean field. So anyways, I was just huddled up next to this uh, uh, a hay bale and this doe comes out and she's passing by at about 60 yards away and uh, is, is angling away. Like she's going away, like she's not gonna come close. I'm looking just to shoot any deer. Like this is, you know, just the one hunt that I get um, around Christmas there. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I know she's going away as like, and I'm not gonna take that long of a shot. So I was like, I'm gonna poke my head out from behind this hay bale let her see me get her attention and see if that's enough to bring her in so that's what i did i just slowly moved my head out she looked over just kind of moved it back and uh, she turned and started coming towards me and got to about 32 to 35 yards something like that and i came to full draw and she was quartering towards me obviously alert and no, I, I didn't shoot i wasn't going to release that arrow in that situation but it was enough to get her within bow range yeah. and had she and had she perhaps calmed down and turned broadside well then maybe i would have had a shot opportunity so mm-hmm. it, yeah that just kind of reminded me of of that like literally letting a deer see you to get it to come close mm-hmm.
0: so that was yeah what i think i think that's the cool concept of having some sort of decoy or some sort mm-hmm. of uh Yeah. I guess just decoy, right? Like I started using the ones for the bow, but I mean, I think at times you could even, I've honestly considered just carrying an antler and just sticking it up above the hill sometimes Mm -hmm. or around the brush or whatever, you know, hunting more of like a still hunt style or like setup style. I use an antler all the time to rake trees and rattle whatever. So it's like You could easily carry something and, you know, kind of use it as a decoy in some situations, especially if maybe you're trying to place a deer, almost like what we do when we're turkey calling. If you came Mm -hmm. up over and you show them a decoy and then drop back and get maybe the wind in your favor or get the cover or whatever,
1: it's a pretty interesting (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. That's something something I would really enjoy doing um, is having three guys on a hunt uh one guy with with a decoy cameraman and the hunter and and like just like you're talking about trying to position deer Mm yeah that'd be really cool because it's tough when you get them coming at you you know looking at you the hunter Mm -hmm. and you know yeah you got to get close close, and a lot of times you're left with a um you know straight on or quartering two shot which are really tough shots or probably poor shots to take in most situations unless Mm -hmm. they're really really close Mm -hmm. but uh yeah which works in some situations but like in
0: open country you're talking one's feeling like he's already close enough to you if he's at 60 yards he's just gonna Mm -hmm. stand there and which yeah at that point there's no it's a no-brainer it's too far so it's like i just think that it's uh bet it's it's almost better suited again with a little bit of cover and that's the fun thing to me about hunting whitetails on the ground is you just have constant cover and you don't Mm -hmm. really need that. It's the same with whitetail, I would say, as mule deer. Like when they're moving, they're not really looking at that much unless it's sticking out like a sore thumb, which that's your kind of your choice to a degree. (laughs) Like don't stop in a place where you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. But like a good example that comes to my mind of um, getting away with you know, what felt like minimal cover was the one that Jake shot in Iowa Mm. in 2021. Like, he had just got to a tree that was, I mean, that wide. Mm -hmm. He was just, you know, perfectly silhouetted with that tree that the deer couldn't see. And that's what I was doing filming from a distance, too. Back just right up against a tree, which it seems crazy that that could ever work. But the buck was on the move. He was fired Mm -hmm. up. And the sun was also right behind us, which, yeah, you know, that makes a huge difference on that too. Yeah. But, yeah. So one thing I want to bring up before I get too far down the rabbit hole is I think this is really a cool thing about hunting mule deer, and I, I do want to talk about this a little bit with you. When you're looking at that terrain that we've hunted in, we can use the Mm -hmm. example of where Mm -hmm. you and i hunted together if you look at the way that landscape or the the lay of the land or if you just look at the topo i guess you're seeing something very similar to what you're seeing in so many other parts of the country i mean you could go to Mm -hmm. some random place and arkansas and likely find terrain that's fairly sh- similarly shaped has like a similar uniform shape to it
1: and in, in, in the way that the topo lines mm-hmm. would look like on a map Yep. yep. just like, just minus the cover
0: right exactly so what you're essentially seeing is a place that you can then visualize and relate i suppose a place that has timber with that same type of terrain mm-hmm. and then just mow the timber down And you're seeing how deer are moving into different pieces of terrain and cover based off of different conditions where when you're in the timber, you just have to guess it. Sure. But here's the cool thing. Once you see it, now you're better at guessing it. And that's what I probably would say has been my favorite thing about hunting open country. Like, there's going to be arguments left and right for forever about, oh, you stalk a mule deer, you're not as good as a hunter as a whitetail hunter and blah, blah, blah state, and you're not as good as what? I mean, those arguments will mm-hmm. forever happen. I say, don't argue about it. Just look at the benefits that you're learning for other places. And that sure. is something that I think is very cool about hunting open country, is you can take... Yep. Those lessons and then put them into a guess in a different situation, especially when, you know, if you're in the timber, you have more sign, for example. So I just think that's cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with you. And the bad thing out there as far as um, looking at trails and stuff like that that might be left behind is that that cattle, um, which... Uh, and maybe maybe there's some in, you know an interesting thought to that is maybe any animal moving through that kind of landscape you know any any trail may be indicative of what a deer would do or how a deer would travel so maybe that's, I actually believe in that
0: yeah I mean uh, maybe that's maybe that's silly but I
1: there could be yeah there could be something to it for sure it's, it's just
0: really strange how consistent it is
1: yeah. Know yeah and a lot of it has to do with just obvious stuff paths of least resistance, saddles and stuff like that one of the interesting things is is, is where the cattle couldn't get to is on those muddy buttes mm-hmm. is you'll see where deer travel around those things yeah um that that's that's where you can actually tell it's just deer doing that so that that was kind of interesting um one of the things like later in the season going out there um Earlier like earlier in the season i was kind of particular about spots i didn't want to go into just because there were so many deer like i didn't want to spook deer out yep. later in the season there was just there wasn't nearly as many deer out there to begin with so i was just kind of walking through areas that i hadn't before and uh, you know one of the things regarding the terrain it was interesting to me is that how many pockets of cover there are where a, a deer could be a, bu- a big buck could be and that you would never know it unless you could find a way to watch him go in there or to or, or just to get above it, like just little nooks and crannies where uh, it's like, when I was out there in December, it's like, I, I would just pin them. I was like, this is absolutely a spot where a buck would bed, especially yeah. like in, you know, early in the season, hot, you know, there's a little cut in the terrain here. There's a blowout or something. There's a cedar tree or a patch of brush here that I didn't know about. I was like, mark that. And then, okay, here's a spot I could sneak into on this wind to try to glass in there. And I'm excited to, to try that next year because there's all these little spots where you know we would lose track of deer. They were probably in these types of spots mm-hmm. that we just couldn't see into unless we'd have moved somewhere else a lot closer. Yeah. So, anyways, that was regarding the terrain. That was one of the things that that, that struck me late season.
0: I, th- I think it's I think that's great because the same thing then again can be said for a timber setting with hills, ditches, just like. The setting you're talking about mm-hmm. I think the more scouting experience you get you start to realize that you can anticipate where those deer are going to be to where you can kind of just go from one to the next and that's that's yep. where my really my love for ground hunting is is that I mean I love stalking mm-hmm. deer and that's like mm-hmm. ideal but I also love just going from one spot to the next just trying to catch deer in a location because yeah I don't know it just makes it some it makes it easier for me to focus flat out I mean sure you've, you've sat in a tree stand with me like I talk just as much as we're doing right now <laughs> in a tree stand yeah it helps me like lock in a little bit but um, you know relating it back to to the to the big woods I just think is uh pretty pretty cool pretty handy you know it's it's something that you're not going to get as quickly as you will get scouting like you're going to just get Mm -hmm. a bunch of examples and a bunch of things uh, that are changing that are showing you or giving you a clue um, as to where deer are going to bed based off conditions like so for example the spot where Cole and I ended up getting that buck We had been up there on the first day back into the area. We walked up there to Glass. On the way up, I remember I'm walking up there and I point at some big beds. And I remember exactly what they looked like. It's like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how used are they? Five and a half? Like, they're here. They use these. Mm -hmm. But whatever, we're going up to Glass. We're about to go see 100 miles, you know. Right. But... Every day we went back past that area, which wasn't a ton, we didn't see see deer. Maybe two or three days we went back past there, maybe four. And even before that, Jake and I had been past there. Didn't see that many deer right there. And then all of a sudden, we have the conditions that we had that day, which Mm -hmm. was obviously snowing, but super hard wind coming over the top, which put that bench that those beds were on out of the wind. Yep. And then, boom, there's three bucks there on those conditions. So, again, taking this back to a timber setting or a whitetail setting, I feel like I can look at a piece of sign, give it a, a, a bit of a um, rating on a 1 mm-hmm. to 10. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a 5. That's a 6. But, I mean, to, for, for sake of understanding what I'm talking about, You know, if you got a pretty good feeling about that sign, now you just have to pick the condition and just hold true to that because darn it, he's going to be there on that condition and he is not going to be there when those conditions aren't right. Right. That is probably the number one takeaway that I have from hunting open country, man. Like I love that
1: because now
0: you go into a place that's got timber and you're not maybe going to see a deer for days. But when those conditions hit for that bed, Mm -hmm.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. you can trust it. And you can be patient. You can get
1: old impatient, a little (laughs) bit more patient. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe gets you up in a tree in a saddle or something, huh? Yeah, maybe. Or at least least sit tight on the ground for a while. That's more likely. But yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, I feel like
0: that's been uh, a really cool thing about hunting. You know, really specifically the mule deer is it gives you... An in-depth look at how how condition-based these deer really are bedding. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. happening everywhere. We're just not always seeing it. And therefore, yep. Yep, if you sure. make a guess, you might be gu- guessing for the wrong reasons and you don't even know it because you don't see anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting to me. I never really considered scouting for mule deer spots to hunt. But and, and not, not that it's necessary. I mean, you know, just by default, you know, open country animals are, you usually you can just find them and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and get in the game. But, mm-hmm. you know, going around to these spots where we were seeing deer in or that or maybe more so that we couldn't see into and realizing there's beds here, there's rubs here, there's deer that were bedding here that we just couldn't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of exciting to have more of those those spots in mind, uh, more ways to go about hunting that particular spot or that kind of terrain Mm -hmm. Um, and knowing that if you do get in it's going to be a lot tighter like to actually see into these spots it's going to be tight oh yeah to to begin with like you're you're getting close to begin with you know 100 yards or something like that and if one's in there it's going to be a short stalk but um yeah it's it's and your whole glassing strategy is different at that point
0: right where Mm -hmm. you're Mm -hmm. up on the high point you can see 100 miles you know, you're just flying through with binos until you pick out a shape yep. and then maybe yep. you get down on a spotter. and I mean, you know, I think we do a lot of scanning in tight with the spotter too, but, mm-hmm. and you get down into those ditches like you're talking about. We're talking, creeping up over the top, looking for yep. the tip of a tine at 75 yep. yards. Like that's, that's, a,
1: that's what, it, that's what it would be. Tricky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like but I said, it certainly
0: I, helps if you know the spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was doing—is just learning the lay of the land and uh, you know, just marking these spots. And you know, on, on this wind, I can sneak up behind this little hill, glass into this patch of uh, whatever kind of brush it is that they bed mm-hmm. in, and or you know, there's there was a cedar tree right here, and there's some rubs next to it. Yeah, that's yeah, I'm excited about that for next what do you,
0: year. F- what do you feel like? Uh, I guess. Are there anything? Is there anything that comes to mind, like just just because I always try to, you know, compare white tail and mule deer, mm-hmm. and what you can learn from one to the other. Is there anything that comes to your mind in addition that like that experience has helped give you confidence for I guess white tail hunting or hunting in a, even in a different setting.
1: Hmm it's a little bit tougher to relate it because most of my whitetail hunting is done from a tree and I'm mm-hmm. limited by camera gear. That tends to be one because I sell film a lot. That tends to be like one limitation that I find that usually I kind of hunt or have to set up a certain way to be able to sell film. So I, I haven't I haven't quite translated a lot from the mule deer hunting yet to uh, my whitetail game that I, that I can think of other than, just gen- I mean, just generally, just stalking. You know, just mm-hmm. getting repetitions with stalking and, and just building that confidence and, and the, the ability about, to do that. What about this? I, c- certainly there's been something with uh, wind
0: that you could relate it to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, like, essentially, um, you know, even though you're, you're whitetail hunting, you obviously still have to be paying attention to the wind. I would say that there's... Um, Probably some of those terrain things that you've noticed mm-hmm. that Certainly probably terrain. have been helpful.
1: Yeah. 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 Terrain features and uh, and trying to predict when, predict where it's going to swirl. And, and one of the things that I hadn't considered a whole lot that you talked about when we were out there is, is the way that, you know, the sun hitting certain parts of the, of the landscape and what that would do and how it changes as the sun shifts as well. There was kind of, that was... Interesting to, uh, to try to consider that and, and predict wind movement and thermals and, and, and swirling mm-hmm. on a finer scale. Yeah, yeah. I feel like hunting in uh, a lot of the hills
0: in Ohio that we've hunted, that's been uh, it's forced us into having to pay attention to things at a to a point that it's just. Yeah, ridiculous, really, you know, because you're not getting that super consistent wind. How do you try to predict, you know, how it's going to run off of terrain? And the one thing that I guess we, we've, we've tried to pay attention to is where hillsides are heating versus cooling. Mm-hmm. And some good examples mm-hmm. of that would be if you watch like how fog rolls over hills Sure. To me, it's it seems like a lot of times it's just following those, you know, those hot, cold, hot, cold, and I think yep. that there seems to be some consistency to that. Where, it, I mean, you can get as as the far down the rabbit hole as you want, but I feel like trying to keep keeping it simple. This is how I started thinking about it, and then you know, obviously, there's variations. If a, if a hillside is getting hit with sun and then there's one that's deep dark shade this has a tendency to be pulling up your predominant wind can change that a little bit like if, let's say you have a wind coming mm-hmm. you know head on it might kind of quarter it quarter it up the hill versus bring it down where on this side that wind is likely going to kind of drop down mm-hmm. and that's like really uh the examples that I've started experimenting with that the most has been whitetails and hills, yeah, and then elk in the mountains. Elk, for sure, and it's just, I mean, certainly, certainly, uh, you always hear like, oh, play the thermals, and it's like, I mean, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different mm-hmm. people. But to me, that's what I would say is like the the starting point. Yeah. But And it seems to, I guess it just seemed to be the case when we were out there together. Like there was that one stalk that we had where Mm -hmm. we, I'm trying to think, the three bucks had went into the cedars and we didn't know exactly where they were. I think we knew where the blower was. Yep, yep. But the other ones had went into the cedars. And just in that one spot, there was enough shade in there that we had talked about that there was a chance our wind was going to slightly suck up into that shade mm-hmm. and kind of settle down in there rather than blow up and out of the hill. And it was a timing thing too, where it almost seemed, it almost seemed like maybe they did that on purpose. <laughs> you know, yeah. where now all yeah. of a sudden they've got wind kind of coming floating in from a bunch of mm-hmm. different directions. Yeah. And that was a great learning point for, for anyone doing this really. It's like, eh. You know, we, we were like we were always on the fence about it and then it just yeah didn't play yeah. out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that kind of reminds me of, of the, the bucks I had one like I said, one stock I went on in December where I was, you know, up high, the wind was blowing in my face, the bucks were upwind of me, so it was it was pretty straightforward to where I could just move at them, use the terrain and but where they were bedded was another little hilltop. But that hilltop you know i would you know so my thought was okay the wind is steady coming out of the south you know it's just gonna it's blowing from them to me but within that little hilltop there's a little bowl that they were in they were tucked in and that in that bowl and as i was coming up to you know basically to see in that bowl where they were bedded you know the wind is doing something different there so it was like yeah, even though they're kind of up on a hilltop and I just assumed a steady wind the whole time, that little micro, that area, that bowl right there, the wind was swirling in there. And uh, I'm assuming that's why they were there. It's crazy how it, good the, the they wind... are. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: So um, that, yeah. One one last thing on that, I suppose, is another thing that I, I don't really even remember the first time I tried it, but... Um... Somewhere along the way, I started looking at grass and how that grass was moving around the deer or any vegetation, especially things like willows that have a, you know, flexible branch. You know, any leaves that might be moving. If you can kind of watch that, especially mm-hmm. in gusty wind, that can really help. You know, tell you what the wind's doing in a specific spot. I remember back to being a kid hunting at my grandpa's, the one property has a huge valley and it's what a lot of people would call a thermal hub. You know, there's Mm -hmm. just a big congregation of multiple creeks coming together. And I remember being down there a few times when the wind was howling up top. And when the wind would get down, I mean... Probably didn't see any deer these days, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I remember the wind hitting the yeah. like yeah. the other hillside and taking leaves way up yeah. the hill and then way yeah. down the hill and across, mm-hmm. and, like just feeling like that was. Uh, I, I mean, that memory sticks with me plain as day on those types yeah. of conditions. But I mean, why I thought I was getting away with that, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> my point is, is when you can read that on the mm-hmm. ground close to the deer. That can yeah. tell you a little bit too, and I think that it's one of those things that can easily be overlooked, but yeah, it's worth it's worth at least checking if you can. Yeah, and
1: it's amazing how quickly it can change too. Like you're going on a stop, getting closer, getting closer, wind steady, wind steady, and all of a sudden, ooh, it just relaxed <laughs> yeah. and is swirling towards the deer, and they're gone. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's amazing how quickly that can change, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and how important it is to to, to be able to understand and read the the nuance in the the landscape. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it makes it, it makes it fun too, because it's just another one of those things that you can try to get better at because, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. at this point I've really only been thinking about that for such a small percentage of the years I've hunted and it's, uh, you know, it's just fun to try to remember all the things, you know, I mean, dude, honestly, here's the funny thing about this topic and any topic with hunting. We can maybe even kind of wrap with this because it's kind of just, it's the it's almost a cliche. Everything that we're talking about are really, like, there are probably important things to consider or try to remember in the heat of the moment. Mm. But most times you don't remember all of them. <laughs> and a lot of times it's the one that you yeah. didn't pay attention to. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of things that on sun stocks we might be doing one thing, but the next you know, it's a faster one and things go quicker. You know, it's funny how it all works out like that sometimes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just had a flashback of the the brush buck when you were saying that, like on, (laughs) on some stocks, you do some things like you pin where the deer is at, or you mark for sure where the deer is at. And sometimes you don't. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Oh man. That was, I felt pretty dumb about that one. So I guess, I suppose for people that maybe haven't seen or don't know what we're talking, seen that episode or don't know what we're talking about is that like, I just got all gung ho on this buck. Like he was in a patch of brush and uh, it was like, I was just confident. I knew where he was at. And once you get down lower in the terrain, everything looks different. And then as we rounded a corner, there's this patch of brush. I was like, no, that's, uh, he was in a bigger patch of brush. This you know, a bigger patch of brush that I'm looking at up ahead of us. Like he's in that one. And, and then, and then all of a sudden here, big, Big-bodied four-by-four mule deer jumps up out of this patch of brush, and uh, yeah, it was out of our lives. So that, that for one, not for that long one. though, we got back on him later. Didn't yeah. had another stalk on him later, but it was just one of those silly things that uh, that uh, wish I would have done differently in the moment. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and that the thing though that you did do that I think was kind of, uh, I mean, kind of gets some redemption points is I don't think what I w- I would have not slid down that hill and got away. I would have thought we would have never got away Mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. I would have played it way safer and I would have spent way more time, which might have not been the right move either, right? Because it was getting to be that point in the day where he could have stood up and started heading to where he was going to feed at any minute and the whole thing could have changed. So, like, I remember, when I remember that hunt, there's two parts that I remember. One is that we totally screwed it up and the other is that you you attacked super aggressive mm-hmm. in a way that i wouldn't have and i yeah. really liked that like i'll always remember that so
1: that's yeah. a really positive spin on you know kind of a heart kind of a heartbreaker right. writer book right <laughs> i think the reason i did that is simply because i'd been on a few other stocks prior to that where deer were far enough away that i just didn't feel like it would register to them my little bit of movement um because the, the first dock I went on out there, there was two bucks that were, you know, there was like 1,100 or maybe, no it, oh, it was 1,400 yards away. I mean, it's a long ways away, but I had to go down an open face to, to start to get down in the terrain where they couldn't possibly see me. But I just felt that was so far away that there's no way that my little bit of slow movement is registering to them. Right. And deer aren't known to have great vision in the first right. place. Right. Um, so at that distance, it's like they just cannot, are not gonna see that. And then it, you know, the brush buck, I think he was even closer. That might have been, I don't know, six to 800 yards away from, but I, I still kind of had that same feeling is that if I can do this quickly enough, still monitor, make sure that he's not getting alert, that uh, I feel like we can just slide down, cut some time, cut some distance, and, uh, and that he's not going to be you know, any wiser, that it's just, if... I mean, granted, we were sliding down the hill you know, fairly quickly, and I, st- <laughs> I still, I, I still didn't feel like that that movement was going to register to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, some people might say, well, these are these are dumb, unpressured mule deer. These deer are, are public and private land mule Those deer. Those deer weren't dumb. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't <laughs> dumb. So I think there is a certain a certain distance you can get away with some open moving in the wide open. That just doesn't register to them hmm and that, I think that's, a
0: couple I think one other side note though is we were going right down that fence line and and remember yes, what yes. we were talking about earlier is like yep. any cover is some cover and I think that yep. you know any movement on that probably isn't registering to his eye where if you're walking mm-hmm. across the wide open hillside yep. that's a little bit different yeah so I think that might have helped us too I love, I love a good fence line out there. Oh, for sure. A post. I mean, yeah. actually, the buck, the whitetail buck that Jake shot, um, what, what, that would have been two falls ago, that he just dropped in his tracks, mm-hmm. that, that's coming up a fence line, and we got to the biggest posts, and him and I were both sitting there in otherwise completely open country. I actually have on yep. my big wall of photos, I have a, a screen grab from Nick's footage. Where it's the two of us sitting there
1: i just love that image It's really cool yeah yep yeah i kind of had i had realized that from your guys's hump and then also had that realization out there when i was sneaking up on a bar or a burrowing owl that was on a fence post about 100 yards away from my truck i wanted to get quite a bit closer to get a better picture Mm -hmm. and he was he was on a fence post down this fence line so i just hugged the fence line and started going at him and like you just disappear like I couldn't see him he couldn't see me see me for a long ways as I'm just going down this fence line so and I got to within about 40 yards of him just kind of popped out and got my picture and granted it's not not a big mule deer buck or anything but just understanding pretty sweet I mean you get those lessons from that yeah when yeah for sure yeah that uh yeah so anyways lots of lessons learned out there this this fall yeah you'll have to send me that picture I uh that that
0: sounds like a pretty cool encounter, really. Um, shoot, there's some, there's one last thing I was gonna say. Dang it! Oh, it probably doesn't even matter that much. I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> it again at some point. Yeah, let's 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 wrap up. I've already taken up an hour and fifteen minutes of Greg's time. Yeah. So, yeah, appreciate it, man. And uh, absolutely.
1: So, yeah. There'll be guess, a lot uh, more to talk about in the future. It's it's fun. It's fun learning and learning together and, and, and getting to talk about this stuff. Yeah, could agree there's, more, man. There's things that that your mind definitely thinks about, and as, especially regarding the wind and the and the terrain. You know, some of those things that uh, that you really get technical about that I really appreciate. So it's it's oh, it's always always fun to talk about that stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool to hear because then it makes me sound like I'm not so crazy when I'm just sitting in my own, <laughs> in my own mind coming up with some some right. theory. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, peace out. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah.